Hola, friends, and welcome to Robcast 77. Robcast Siete Siete. And this one is called Teshuva. And Teshuva is spelled T apostrophe S H U V A H exclamation point. I'll write it out on Instagram. But this episode is called Teshuva. And you have to say it like that. You can't be like Teshuva. You have to be like Teshuva. And by the end of this episode, I want you to be driving along or doing your dishes or jogging in England or taking your kids to school in Sydney. And I want you to be saying, Teshuva! And then uh, you'll get a tattoo of it. And some of you will put up billboards and there'll be graffiti and street art. And some of you will make like those interesting calligraphy designs of Teshuva. And we'll go from there. Because this word, I'm telling you, you know I love words. And the weirder, the better, right? And the older, the better. And the older and more loaded and interesting, the better. But this word, teshuva, oh, come on. So we're going to spend an entire episode talking about one old, old word. Uh, Speaking of words, next week, my new book comes out, March 8th. The book is called How to Be Here. And... It's like you work on something for years. You sort of sit all alone at your desk and make it. And you don't really know what you have on your hands. And then there's this moment when it like gets let out into the world. And then it does whatever it's supposed to do. And it never, this is like the ninth book I've put out there. It never goes away, this feeling like, oh my word, this like, child is going to go out into the world. Um, and there are some uh, signed first edition copies through Barnes and Noble. So bn.com, if you'd uh, like a signed copy. And then as I was thinking about what to do when this book came out, I thought so many of you haven't been able to come to the two day events I do here in in LA and have said, come do an event in our city. So I thought, well, what if I just went and did one day events all over the place, Uh, all over the world, actually, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to do a lot of traveling on this. And I did like a how to be here experience where we sort of take the, took the ideas in the book and then took them away farther. So we rented art galleries and dance halls around the country for this first leg. And it's a whole day, you and me together. Uh, no stage, it's just chairs in the round, like a big living room. And uh, I, I seriously, I'm so unbelievably excited about this. So the first one, uh, so there's all day Saturday events. And then the Friday night before that, in that city or a city nearby, I'll be doing like a book signing event. Like you don't need tickets or anything for that. That's just um, like a talk, Q&A, signing, all that at bookstores. So Friday night, bookstores. Saturday night, um, you can get tickets for all day Saturday. You can get those tickets at robbell.com. So uh, Denver, Boulder, Chicago, Phoenix, Tempe, Miami, Durham, uh, Raleigh, Austin, Minneapolis, the list goes on, Tulsa, the list goes on, and I'm Brooklyn, and then uh, we'll be going overseas, and uh, tickets are coming soon for that, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you, because we're going to get to meet, and it's going to be fantastic, and then uh, if you're here in the Los Angeles area, Pete Holmes and I, uh, my beloved world-renowned comic friend Pete Holmes and I are doing another one of our two-man shows March 29th at Largo, Largo Largo-LA, tickets for there. And then my beloved friend Elizabeth Gilbert, she and I are doing an event one day with Rob Bell with special guest Elizabeth Gilbert. 
And that will be at Wanderlust Hollywood, which is this massive yoga studio in Hollywood. And that's almost sold out from what I'm told. So a couple more tickets for Liz and I. We're going to sit side by side on stools for an entire day, which to us is like the most fun imaginable with a bunch of you. And we're going to talk about joy and fear and creativity and love. And uh, so that's Memorial Day, actually, May 30th, 2016. And uh, other than that, you know what? We're just cooking. We're just making stuff. We're having fun. And uh, I'm about to go to the grocery store with my wife, and I'm unbelievably excited. I just realized that. Why am I so amped up this morning? It's because Chris and I are going to go to the grocery store. And it's if going to the grocery store can bring you this level of joy, where are you going to go from here? You know what I mean? So, um, and then my back house here, which is where my son's band rehearses and where I do all my work. So I have my desk here and record Robcasts. Friday night, my son's punk band, they did a show here. They cleared out all the furniture and um, they did three bands played here. <laughs> and it was complete mayhem. Neighbors showing up uh, to discuss the volume level. And uh, so then um, yesterday morning, we had to have a professional cleaner come in and clean the carpet because, by the way, the lead singer of my son's band was stage diving in my office. How fantastic is that? And it kind of, uh, you know, the walls are a little dented and the carpet needed to be cleaned. And uh, we're all smiling because that's just, that's just living right there. So... Um, now we got all the furniture back in place, and I'm sitting here talking to you about, say it with me, Teshuva. Okay, so here's why I find this word Teshuva so compelling. Teshuva begins with an affirmation of your fundamental goodness, of the fundamental goodness of what it means to be a human being. You bear the image of the divine. You reflect the image of the divine. You are blessed before anything else is said about you. You're breathing. You're here. There is a sacred, holy dimension to all of life and to all of human life. You, before anything else, you belong. So your life, it takes place within a larger divine embrace. So teshuva begins, well, actually, it begins where the Bible begins. And the Bible begins with a poem. And in the poem, creation is blessed. It is a sacred, there is a sacred holiness in its materiality. And by that, I mean blood and sweat and sex and surfing and skin and wine and food and the embrace of a lover and the laugh of a child and planting a garden and that sunset and a mountain and snowfall. Like creation is loaded with a goodness, a sanctity, a holiness. And so Teshuva begins with an affirmation of fundamental human goodness. You are born on a path. But then we wander off that path. Are you with me now? We violate our true selves. We hurt each other. We cause destruction to the earth. 
We lie, cheat, steal, sin, whatever language you want to use for it. So you're on a path, but then there are these things that we do to each other, things that we do to each other, things that we do to the earth, things that large groups of people, tribes, do to other tribes, systems we participate in that actually oppress and dehumanize others. So there is the affirmation of our goodness, and then there are all of the ways that we wander off that path, that we violate that goodness. And then there's that moment when you realize that you've wandered from your path. That moment when you become aware that you've done wrong. That moment when you see that you are part of a system that causes harm. And so there is that moment when you turn from whatever it is because you realize it's not good, it's not healthy, it's not beneficial, it's wrong, manipulative, exploitive. Picture it like a path. The path is your path. It's your true self. It's your best life. It's the call that is on your life for you to be you. So picture your life like this path. And there are the actions that you take that keep you, the steps that you take that keep you moving down this path, calling, destiny, obedience, whatever language you have for that. But then there is this moment when you step off the path and you realize that this isn't right. This isn't the joy. This isn't the peace. This isn't the love. And there is this moment when you return to the true path. There is this moment when you say it with me now, you teshuva. See, teshuva, the root word in Hebrew, it's an ancient Hebrew word, teshuva, the root word is shuv, which means to turn, or even more specifically, to return. And so teshuva is that thing that happens when you realize you're way off in the deep weeds. You've left the path and you realize, what am I doing? This isn't, this isn't beautiful. This isn't satisfying. This isn't healthy. This isn't helpful. This is actually destructive. This is leaving me ravished on the inside. And so there is this moment of teshuva when you go, I have got to turn from this and head back to my path. So this word teshuva is found in the scriptures. There's a collection of psalms, poems in the middle of the Bible. Psalm 34 reads, teshuva from evil and do good. So essentially, turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. And so teshuva is the name for that experience when you realize this is not the right path. You've wandered off into the woods. You've wandered way off the road. And you have this moment of uh, walking home the next morning thinking, I'm not doing that again. That moment of realizing the harm you've caused another. That moment of waking up and you don't remember what happened. You just know you're waking up in a place that you don't remember going to sleep in, and that feeling of, wait, this can't, oh, this is, this is not right. 
that moment when you call that person because you realize that the thing that you said hurt them and you need to apologize. Teshuva is when you return to your true path. Now, here's why I think Teshuva is more helpful and maybe even you could say relevant than ever is because Teshuva takes two things very seriously. Teshuva takes very seriously your goodness and your badness. It takes seriously our greatness and it also takes seriously our sins. And here's why I bring this up. Especially now when we talk about spirituality, uh, and, and especially especially the, for the many people who are spiritual but not religious, it's easily things can get quite squishy. D- do you know what I'm talking about? It gets very bumper stickery. Everybody's good, and everybody's a pure soul, and everybody's following their bliss, and everybody's living their true self, which, as you know, I'm all about. Everybody is awesome. Everything is awesome. But the problem is we also are surrounded by pain, heartache, addiction, betrayal. Uh, We have an environmental catastrophe on our hands that is calling to question the very future of our species on this planet. Um, And here's what I mean. I was talking with a friend recently who said, who was talking about how he just doesn't find any use for the word sin and how sin for him is just bound up in all sorts of irrelevant categories of God and obedience and shame and guilt and a whole world and a whole way of thinking that he's just left behind. And so he said, I just don't see, uh, like I just have no relation to the word sin. And I said, I totally get that. What do you call rape? Like when, when a woman is raped, what is that? What's the word for that? So I understand completely that there may be a whole way of thinking that with the word sin, that, that feels like it's just, come on, it's 2016, let's move on. But what is the word that we use for rape when somebody rapes someone else? Some words are strong for a reason. So if you don't use that word, that's fine, but you're gonna have to, we're going to have to have language for the grievous, unrestrained evil that one human being can do to another human being. We need words that can capture the destruction we're capable of, the the racism, violence, the defilement that can happen between human beings. So the power of a word like teshuva is that it owns and is honest about the extraordinary power we have to make a mess of things and to wrong ourselves, each other, and the world that we live in. Now, on the flip side, perhaps you have been in religious environments that were like a sinner contest. (laughs) Have you ever come across this where you're talking with somebody and they keep talking about, you know, I'm the chief of sinners and, man, I'm just a wretched, I'm just a wretch. And uh, have you ever had this feeling where people are, it's almost like they're they're trying to top each other with um, how horrible they are. And, and, and by the way, have you ever heard a sermon that was like, like a shit shower? You know what I'm talking about? You literally left feeling worse about yourself and not in any redemptive, empowering, inspiring sort of way where it was basically like an attempt to convince you of how terrible you are. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Um, there is this squishy spirituality that cannot acknowledge and doesn't have any language for 
the very real destruction we're capable of. But on the flip side, there are whole categories of thinking and uh, even say theology or faith communities that seem to be able to do not much more than just continually name and announce how terrible we each are and sermons that actually make everybody feel terrible. You're not doing this enough. You're not doing that enough. Look at how pathetic we are there. Uh, Or have you ever seen this? I remember some of my first sermons. I worked so hard on those sermons. And somebody would come up after me, come up, would come up afterwards and they would say, oh man, that sermon was so helpful. Thank you so much. And I would say something like, uh, it wasn't me, it was all God. <laughs> and then over, over time I was like, why do I always say it wasn't me, it was all God? If that's the case, then why am I working so hard? <laughs> you know what I mean? Have you ever seen that where if it was good, then it was all God, but if it was bad then it was all you. And so what to shoot, you know what I'm talking about, right? It's this inability to acknowledge the goodness of human beings. And uh, it was funny. Some, sometimes people send me um, things that they think would be helpful. My friends know that this isn't, but sometimes people will send me like, hey, this person just shredded you on their blog and they'll send me a link, but I won't know that this person is shredding me. They'll just say, hey, you might find this interesting, and I'll click it, and it'll be some person writing something terrible about me. And I'll never forget this person who had written a review of one of my books, and they hated the book. And I was so struck uh, with how sort of the venom this person had towards me, so I clicked to see like their bio on their blog, and it was literally like some pastor somewhere, and he basically said, I love my wife, I love my daughters, I love uh, my friends, I love mountain biking. He said, I am the chief of sinners. <laughs> and, it was, and then he proceeded to talk about what a terrible person he is. And it was funny because I was like, you don't sound like that bad of a guy. <laughs> but so I'm sure you've seen this before. Religious communities, it's not an honest appraisal of our tremendous capacity to wrong each other. It goes into this other territory where almost like you get points for how much you can put yourself down. But here's the thing about teshuva, is teshuva holds all of this in a healthy talent, uh, tension and balance. Teshuva acknowledges the unbelievable potential within you to do good. And it's also brutally honest about our propensity to wander off our path and cause all sorts of heartache and destruction. Now, here's why teshuva is so powerful. Its starting point is good, tov, from that Hebrew word good. And a couple episodes ago, we explored the difference between good and the difference between good and perfect. The starting point is blessing. The starting point is you belong. And here's why. When you are grounded in a fundamental understanding that you bear the image of the divine, when you're grounded in your true self, then it's, you are much more free to be honest about the things you've done that really hurt people, that were wrong. It's much easier to be honest about, I made a mess of things. I'm so sorry. 
I apologize for what I said. I have broken trust and I am in so much pain because of it. See, when you're grounded in your true self, when you're grounded in the goodness of what it means to be a human being, then the things that you do, sins, mistakes, times that you stumble, people that you hurt, you can go own it because it's not threatening your fundamental identity. And here's what I mean. Taking responsibility then isn't a threat to your true self. In the New Testament, they have this phrase, in Christ, in the Christ, which is essentially for the writers an entirely different mode of living. And so they even talked about this awareness of when your reality, when your true self is grounded in the love of God, then it frees you to own up to the ways that you've made a mess of things. So you have one of the New Testament writers, what can separate us from the love of God? Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ. So what they keep talking about is when you are grounded in this, then you can be honest when you are grounded in this love of God in Christ, when you are in this entirely new mode in which your identity is firm and secure then you can own the ways that you've made a complete balls up of things because you aren't terrified that somehow this is going to throw your whole life into a tailspin. When you're rooted, grounded, and built up in love, when you know who you are, then you aren't carrying around all that anxiety and guilt and shame that makes you feel terrible for being a human. And what that does is it frees you to apologize. It frees you to make amends. It frees you to be honest. And you don't need to endlessly beat yourself up because you know who you are. Teshuva! Teshuva is that moment when you realize that you've wandered from the path and you think, ah, what is this? What am I doing? And you turn and you return to your true path. Now, here's the kicker. Do you know how this word gets translated? Teshuva, you know how it gets translated in the Hebrew scriptures? Repent. I know. You didn't see that coming, did you? When you read that word repent, its roots are actually teshuva, return. Repent then has its ancient roots in return. Return to your true self. Return to your true path. Return to the love, joy, and peace that comes from being true to who you're here to be. Now, let's take it a step further. Jesus, then, when he comes along, how does he begin most of his teachings? Repent, for the kingdom is near. It's at hand. It's upon you. Now, the, the Gospels that, that record Jesus' life, they're in Greek. And the Greek word here is metanoia, which means a changing of your mind or uh, have a complete change of heart might be, see things in a whole new way might be a way to translate it in the Greek. So Jesus would say, when he says repent, he might say, man, you, you got to change the whole way you're seeing everything. But he's a Jewish rabbi. So when a Jewish rabbi says repent, he's drawing on what? He's drawing on this ancient tradition 
of teshuva, teshuva. It has this energy to it. It has this explosive so, uh, sort of awareness to it. <gasps> what am I thinking? I got to get back to the path. Now, a couple thoughts as we bring this to 2016. You're going to see your favorite band. You're walking into the venue and there's a guy out front with a bullhorn and he has a huge sign. And what does it say on it? Repent of your sins. Now, here's why you're annoyed. Well, you're annoyed because you're going to see your band and you don't want this guy yelling at you through his megaphone. But my best guess is the reason why that sign doesn't work for you is because you've only ever seen it in the context of repent because you are a miserable, pathetic wretch. You're headed to hell, and if you don't do whatever it is, God is going to cook you forever. Anybody know what I'm talking about? The fundamental place that you are then in that mindset is you are bad, you are a complete screw-up, and with no intervention and no change, of course, you are headed to a cold or dark or hot or whatever it is, lonely place where you will be tortured forever. Do you see why the sentiment behind that sign isn't, what's to say it? It's not biblical. It's not Christian. It's teshuva. Its starting point is not how wrong, screwed up, sinful, and headed for eternal destruction you are. Its starting point is where the Bible starts, which is, it's good to be human. You bear the image of the divine. Teshuva begins from a proper starting point. It begins in Genesis 1, not Genesis 3. You're a child of God, and in all sorts of ways, you've made decisions, you've taken destructive actions, you've entertained toxic thoughts, you are a child of God, and you have wandered from home. And how great would that sign be if it just said, come on home, come on home. I mean, literally, what if there were signs when you went looking for the love that is already yours, you were wandering from home. When you puffed yourself up with a bloated ego to try to impress people so that they would love you, you were trying to gain a love that you already have. When you put somebody else down and judge them and condemn them and criticize them because it made you feel better about yourself, you're already loved. You already belong. You don't need to put anybody else down so that you'll feel okay. In all of those situations, you wandered from home because when you're home, you're rooted, grounded, and centered in the love that is yours. And by the way, one of the dominant stories of the Bible is the return from exile. For many people, you ask them, what's the story about? Oh, it's about how you're a terrible sinner and God sent Jesus to forgive, forgive you of your sins. Forgiveness is one of the themes you can find in the scripture. But I would argue that one of the more dominant themes is the return from exile, which is you wandered from home and now you are invited to come home. No more proving, no more manipulating, no more exploiting, no more trying to impress everybody, 
no more kicking and scratching and throwing elbows to try to get to the top, thinking that that will somehow fix the emptiness in your heart. Come on home. Come on home. I know, see? You could think about it like a true path, like a path that you wandered off into the deep weeds and now you return to that path that you were walking down. You could also think of it like a home. And we wander from home. And then there is that moment of, oh, this is miserable. Look at what I'm doing to others. Look what's happening inside of me. And you wake up and you stop in your tracks and you turn and you return home. So uh, a couple of things. A couple of things in light of teshuva. First, how you talk about yourself. Talk about yourself like you understand teshuva is the way that it works. So on behalf of everybody, please stop putting yourself down all the time. I always make a mess of things. No, you don't. That's exaggerating. I'm just a total screw up. No, you're not. Okay? Uh, no one's going to like anything I have to say. What if they do? Do you see how many people, the voice in their head is not a teshuva voice, and it doesn't start where teshuva starts. And so the tape that you play in your head about yourself is incredibly important for how you actually live your life. You won't believe the number of people who I will meet them when I'm out traveling and will say, I'm so sorry, this is probably the stupidest thing ever, but I would just love to talk to you about this. Or, I know you're going to think this is totally dumb, but I have this question about <laughs> why do we need that intro to the question or to the conversation? It's like the person has already punched themselves in the face before they say a word to me. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. I'm even like putting my hand on the table emphatically. Stop it. Talk about yourself like teshuva. I bear the image of the divine. There is a divine spark. Spirit resides within me. And I also am incredibly creative in the ways in which I can make a mess of things. So wrongs, sins, mistakes, stumbles, however you talk about this, of course, of course. It's interesting. I'll hear people be like, you just got to understand, man, I mean, I, I'm just a sinner. Is this anything new? <laughs> Is that anything we don't all know uh, about all of us? Talk about yourself with a teshuva understanding of things. Then uh, take responsibility. Take responsibility for your actions. Own it. If you screwed up, own it. If you hurt somebody, own it. Apologize. Say you're sorry. If you have sinned against another, if you're part of a system that has crushed somebody, write that letter, make that phone call, become an activist, organize people, march in the streets, like take responsibility. Own it. If you have a partner you're sharing your life with and you said something really hurtful last night, bring it up. Tell them how much it grieves you that you would say something like that. Own it. Do you see what teshuva does? It frees you to be ruthless about your shortcomings because your fundamental identity isn't in question. Stop beating yourself up. 
I often meet people who say things like, I can't believe some of the things I used to do and think and believe and say, the judgment and hypocrisy and the ignorance. I can't believe I used to be a part of that group or I used to say those things. Uh, if you need to make amends with somebody, make amends with somebody. If you need to make it right, make it right. Clean your side of the street. But here's the thing. And if you look at teshuva in the rabbinic tradition and the ancient mystical tradition, there's one more thing we'll end with that you'll find in, in, in this tradition surrounding teshuva. And it's so great. I can't even believe it. And it's for every one of you who feels bad about and you keep bringing, you know, it's like you keep beating yourself up for who you used to be or how things used to go or what you used to do or think or believe or say. Uh, and, and I'll frame it this way. Do you still do the exact same things you used to do? Do you still think like that? Do you still believe like that? Do you still do some of those destructive actions? No, you don't. Of course you don't. So celebrate it. There is a sorrow that's a part of repentance. There is a grieving. There is a broken... Sometimes I will do or say something to somebody, and there will be like a... a like a deep sadness of, ah, oh, I did that. A grief. That's totally normal. It's actually quite healthy. Um, even the tradition of confession where you would go to somebody, um, whether it's a religious authority figure or a mentor or the village elder or just a friend, and you would just speak the evil, the wrong that you've done. There's, that's, that's incredible. It can be incredibly helpful and incredibly healthy and healing. So there is power in confession, but you know what's built into the teshuva tradition? Is when you have wandered off the path and you realize, oh my word, I'm way off the path here. Do you know what you do? You make amends, you sorrow, you grieve, but you know what you also do? You celebrate. And you know why they say you celebrate? You celebrate and you say, thank you, God, for revealing to me how far off the path I've wandered. So for every one of you who can't believe you used to think, do, say, participate in whatever that was, if you don't do that now, then before anything else, after anything else, in between all of it all, celebrate. And so teshuva, while it has the capacity and a natural part of it is grief and guilt and sorrow and sadness, teshuva is embraced with joy and celebration, which is why you got to put an exclamation point on it. Teshuva! I used to be that idiot, and then I woke up. I used to think that, and now I don't. I used to cause that kind of destruction, but ever so gradually I'm turning from it. And it's two steps forward and one step back. Some days it feels like two steps forward and three steps back. Uh, sometimes I fall flat on my face and I think, you're in recovery. We're all in recovery. But if you have at any level a sense of awareness of, I don't want to, I am turning from that. And I may still fall back into it, but I am turning from that. Then you celebrate the divine revelation that you have seen a better way that for some reason light burst into your consciousness and you realized 
man, I am in the deep weeds over here. Oh, there's the path way over there. Well, then I'm going to turn and get back on my path. You celebrate that you aren't still wandering farther and farther and farther from the path. Teshuva, teshuva to every one of you who feels mired in some habit, pattern, addiction, way of living. Teshuva, teshuva. Sometimes a futility and a despair can set in. There's no way I could be free of that. Teshuva grabs you by the shoulders and it shakes you and it says, tomorrow can be better than today even if it's one tiny step, even if it's just the awareness that this isn't the best. Teshuva has this invigorated, disruptive, it invades the complacency, it invades the mediocrity, invades the sins and stumblings with this insistence that there's a true path for you and it's better than this. You're better than this. You're better than this. You're better than this. You are better than this. Teshuva gets in your face. It wakes you up. It pours cold water on your face and it says, come on, you're numbing the pain. Let's deal with the pain. Come on, you're escaping instead of facing the wounds. Teshuva says you're settling and you know it. Teshuva says you're better than this. Teshuva says you are this extraordinary, sacred, holy miracle of flesh and blood and opinions and consciousness and thought and history and memory. You are this exotic cocktail of dust and soul, spirit and bone. Teshuva wakes you up to the miracle of your own existence. <laughs> Teshuva says, come on, come on, come on, get back on the path, get back on the path, turn, return, repent. Teshuva. So may you, my brothers and sisters, may you teshuvah.